Okay. The peace of the Lord be with you. So we are now in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Now, for those of you who are reading 1 Corinthians, how are you doing? Good? Yeah, that doesn't sound so... Uh, confident, but uh, that don't worry. Like, if you have any questions about First Corinthians as we go along, please send them over. Right? Like, uh, we're here. Don't be shy. If you have any questions about First Corinthians, especially now that we're approaching the issues chapters, uh, we will be going through several things that may actually uh, turn a few heads and raise a few eyebrows. So, um, and I will actually express my stance, and I will tell you where my stance is. Uh, I do have, I do come across a little bit of a conservative stance, and so I will try to explain my way of why I explain, like, why my stance is, but if that raised an eyebrow for you, please don't leave. <laughs> Just come back, have a dialogue with me, and we'll chat about it, right? We're, because I would love to hear from you too. Like, uh, we're a church, we're a community, we journey scripture together, amen? Right? Okay. So... We are now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's begin with the passage that I would like to focus on today. And it's found in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, if you realize this, uh, there's a thing called ESV at the side. Today, I'm going to use the English Standard Version because I find that this uh, translation is better. And so, and you know what? You have every right to change your translations, whatever works for you. But I found this one works well. So this is how I'm going to begin. Verse 1 in chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Okay, we are now in chapter 4. But first of all, before we go into chapter 4, let's do a review of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Okay? So chapters 1, the crucial point there, the central point is born again. Right? Remember our title for this whole entire series is Growing Pains? Well, how can you grow without being born, right? So we are born again, but to what? Well, we have to declare, when we're born again, when we say we're born again, what happens? We declare, as Christians, we declare that we were sinners, and we are now born again in Christ. In Him, we have redemption, holiness, and righteousness. Moreover, we're called loved ones and children of God. Okay, But once we make that claim, it's not just going to just believe this. We have to make the claim all right, that Jesus is the center of our lives now. He is the Lord of our whole entire being. He's before us, behind us, around us. He's the center point. He's the center of our lives. And not only that, our foundation. Okay, That's what it means by born again. All right? Once we say we're Christian, we first have to make this claim that we were sinners and now we're born again, but, and we also have redemption, holiness, and righteousness in Christ. However, we also have to include that Jesus is now our center, our Lord. Nothing takes over that. Very key point in that, because as I said in that week, when we hit the issues, Paul revisits this. Revisits this. And even if he doesn't, he assumes that we did. Okay? Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is all about detox now, right? Now that we are growing, 
how do we start growing? We have to begin detoxing, detoxify ourselves, right? There's a lot of old habits, a lot of old presumptions, and the old ways of make, doing things, and the way we make decisions. So what are some of the old ways that Paul was detoxing? It's the whole idea of karma. You guys remember what karma was? You put in, and you get what you put in. You reap what you sow. Uh, you pay your dues, right? Like the recycling, right? If you didn't recycle, you're gonna get this mad, angry can looking at you. Right, you remember those commercials? Right, so karma, however, sees Jesus though, and his cross as foolishness, because his cross removes what you and I rightly deserve. How many of us can say that we've done enough good to offset all the stupid stuff we've done? How many of us? Not really, right? Because unfortunately, a lot of the stupid stuff is stuff that we didn't do, that we neglect to do. How many, like, so basically we cannot say that we have done enough to offset all the stupid stuff that we've done. And guess what? That stupid stuff results in punishment, which is death, which is sin, death, punishment. Karma sees that, okay, how many brownie points did you get? How many good stuff did you do? Now, how many of the bad stuff did you do? Oh, guess what? Too much bad stuff, you get punished, sin, death. But then Jesus comes and his cross and he dies and he resurrects and he gives us redemption and salvation and says, you know what, wipe that clean. I'm gonna give you redemption, holiness and righteousness even though you don't deserve it. And I'm gonna take away what you deserve as is the punishment, which is death and sin. What do we call that again? Grace and mercy. You're given what you don't deserve, which is grace. You're not given what you rightly deserve is mercy. Now. Some of, like I said, some of us may think that, you know, well, I, John, I don't believe in karma, right? Well, we kind of do. Whenever we say deserve in our language, he doesn't deserve it, you don't deserve it, I deserved it, that's karma, all right? Uh, there was one time like, uh, I was doing a little coaching, coaching session with uh, some young professionals, and they said, I deserve that role, and that's why I'm in it. I'm the partner of this firm, right? Well, guess what? There were probably five other resumes that were well-qualified, but all four of them probably had a bad day at their interview. So you lucked out. Get it? We don't deserve what we have right now. It's all in God's hands. And the reason why we're in that position is because God put us there, right? And which comes to chapter three. Chapter three goes and says, the only building that lasts is built on Jesus's foundation out of Jesus's mindset and resembles him, and that could only be one thing, right? And that is to make disciples of Jesus. We are here, our purpose in life as Christians is to make disciples of Jesus, and how? By giving them, a, by showing them a life, a testimony of what a Christ follower is, okay? They have to see Jesus in us. So it's not about our careers, it's not about our position in society, it's not our status. Those things are only what N.T. Wright would say, merely arenas of where God has placed us. We work in our arenas. We do well in our arenas. But why? It's because we, our focus is mainly on making disciples of Jesus. We live upright, we're, but, and we live well, but then we also are motivated and have integrity, but our motivation is not to get ahead. Our motivation is to show this is what a Christ follower is, all right? You guys follow? Okay. 
All right, so now that's chapters one, two, and three, and now we are on to chapter four. And like always, if you're with me for a while now, you know that a film clip is going to come very shortly. And so I'm gonna show you a film clip to start off this next chapter. Previously on Peter Screws the Pooch, I tell you to stay away from this. Instead, you hacked a multi-million dollar suit so you could sneak around behind my back doing the one thing I told you not to do. Is everyone okay? No thanks to you. No thanks to me? Those weapons were out there and I tried to tell you about it, but you didn't listen. None of this would have happened if you had just listened to me. If you even cared, you'd actually be here. I did listen, kid. Who do you think called the FBI, huh? Do you know that I was the only one who believed in you? Everyone else said I was crazy to recruit a 14-year-old kid. I'm 15. No, this is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. And if you died, I feel like that's on me. I don't need that on my conscience. Yes, sir. I'm yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doesn't I understand. I just, I just wanted to be like you. And I wanted you to be better. Okay, it's not working out. I'm gonna need the suit back. For how long? Forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, no, works. no. Please, please, please. Mr. Let's Trump, have it. You don't understand. Please, this is all I have. I'm nothing without this suit. If you're nothing without this suit, then you shouldn't have it. Okay? Gotta sound like my dad. Okay, we'll sort that out. So, what Spider-Man will, Peter Parker, was saying is that, I want to be like you. Okay, that was the key. I want to be like you. And he was doing all his, if, okay, I'm not going to give away the movie. <laughs> well, he, like, throughout the movie, he wanted to be like Iron Man, okay? Okay, that was a giveaway. But go see the movie. Don't, don't take it my word for granted. All right, so... Okay, when I was young, I had to face it. Like, I had role models, too. I looked up to people. I picked them, right? Uh, I had my dad. Um, I had my coach, my football coach. And I had, of course, Batman. Right? There were many reasons why I looked up to those role models. All right? Uh, like, my dad, he's, like, quite strong. He played football, too. He went all the way up to UBC to uh, play football. So he was like one of those big stocky Asian men who could just roll and bulldoze people. Like, yeah, so I wanted to be like my dad and that's why I played football. And I go, I wanna be strong, I wanna be just like my dad. Then I also wanna be like visionary, you know, tall and decisive and really like outspoken. So I was kind of following my coach as well. And I was really quite attracted to my coach and said, yeah, I wanna be like him too. Then of course, Batman, geez, come on. Like, yeah, like, handsome, gorgeous body in tights, you know, middle-aged billionaire. Did I mention he's a billionaire? Like, man, he's a billionaire, right? So, a billionaire, right? <laughs> like, so, you know, he's a role model, right? So, as, so when I, as I reflected on this passage, I realized something. I looked at back at my past and I said, you know what, I kept on looking at role models and picking role models. Like, who really defined my role model? Like who defined what an ideal role model was, like that character? It was me, wasn't it? It was me. Like these role models didn't come up to me and go, hi, John, I want to be your role model. No, it was actually me picking them out, right? It was me who formulated my own definitions, and I defined what a role model should look like, 
right? Sort of like Peter Parker, like he saw, like he probably already had a preconception of what a role model looked like for him. And some, some of you know who Spider-Man's journey was, like Iron Man fitted that, right? So the question is, who's our role model? Who do we want our role model to be? If we don't have one, who, it, who would it be? Like how would we define that characteristic? Would it be G.I. Joe, He-Man, Optimus Prime, Tony the Tiger, Frosted Flakes? Those were my role models too, by the way. So, you know, we pick our role models and our preconceptions, and we define our preconceptions, sorry, and we define them, right? We define it first and foremost before we even pick our role models. So our central point for today is this. Interesting enough, it's quite obvious, like uh, to some of you who already concluded, who is, sh who should be our role model? Jesus, right? Come on, you guys all know this. So who should our role model be? Jesus. How, however, we have a problem. We have a big problem. Is he here? No, unfortunately. Same goes with the first, same goes with Corinthians. Jesus was not there either. So they're grasping, looking for a role model that's like Jesus. They're grasping, and I'm sure you and I are, are wondering, okay, where can I find this Jesus-like figure then? Right, and where should we go? Well, let's take a look at Corinthians' journey and see how they fare in looking for a role model that looks like Jesus. Okay? So the central point is, our role model is Jesus, and we know that full well, and we say it all the time, but who do we go? So let's move on. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. I read it already. So we'll just uh, go into it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to that passage so that you can follow along. Here's the number one growing pain for the Corinthians. As Corinthians, we know that they are like business professionals, right? They're quite career-oriented. They're business professionals. They're driven. They're intellectual. They can't. And so kind of like us, right? They're kind of like us. They, they were educated in good schools, etc. They're metropolitan. Right? They're in a city that is in a port. So we should be kind of like placing ourselves in their shoes already. For example, I'll use myself. When I entered into the working world 15 years ago, right, I started, I started out and I said, look, it's not about me being successful in my career. I just want to plainly be successful. All right? I don't care what career I have. I just want to be successful. Successful in work successful in life, and successful in just as a person, right? And how do I define that? Well, I kept, went over and then I just looked for everything that was success. So I looked for people that had, um, you know, various uh, ways of presenting themselves. Clothes, right? Possessions, uh, or even personalities, multifaceted personalities. Uh, not, I mean, I don't mean by schizophrenia. <laughs> I mean by, like, the ability to work the room. Right? I'm attracted to people that work the room. Oh my goodness, like, uh, like my cousin, for example. She could work the room. People just gravitate to her, right, for some odd reason. You know, those type of people. Those people, I say, wow, those are successful people. And that's what was going through my head. Well, guess what? The Corinthians also thought the same way. But then they used it and correlated with spirituality and faithfulness, a mature Christian. They go, okay, you know what, Paul? I don't know who Jesus is. I don't really don't know him because I just came to this faith. And problem, he's not here. <laughs> okay? So 
I have a business degree. I, I'm an MBA, I got a grad. I came, back from, I came out of Harvard and I'm pretty successful, successful in my business side. So maybe this leader, this role model that I should follow should be like my boss or should be like the person that I envision. Okay, you follow? Maybe this successful Christian, this person that's supposed to be really good at Christian leadership and spiritual and very mature is like my boss because that's how I correlate. Right? That's how I equate things. Because Jesus is not here. How do I know? Right? Well, unfortunately, when they did that, they measured Paul against that measurable. Okay? They, used, they had all these expectations of where they came from, with a, as an ex, or like how they see executives should be, and they imposed that onto Paul. Because Paul kept on claiming that he's the leader of that church, right? He's the planter. He's the father of all, their, all these children, right? So then they go, hmm, does Paul qualify? You follow so far? Does he, follow, does he qualify? Okay, so that's where we're going. And that's how it starts. That right now, the Corinthians, they're influenced by their own way of thinking what a successful Christian leader should be. Took that and then imposed it on Paul. Paul, Apollos, do you measure up? Let's see, okay? And what does Paul say? Well, he goes to chapter four, verse five to seven. Therefore, he says, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will discuss the purposes of the heart, disclose, I mean, that then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of, us, none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul goes and says, first things first. Okay, you know how you measure me again? One of the things that you measure was about results. You guys see me as like uh, not having results. Paul says, no, do not place judgment so soon. Our salvation is a journey, and each person's journey is different, right? It's, not, it's, not a, it's a process. It's not about results. A continuing working of the Holy Spirit in a person's life to fully realize what she has in Jesus, which is salvation, redemption, and holiness. Converting people, Paul says, is not my job, and it's definitely not your job. We are not here as a church and measure conversion rates. We don't say, we're successful, or Jonathan is successful, or Crucible Church is successful. Look at their baptisms. Look at the number of baptisms they have. Look at the number of conversions they have. No, Paul says you don't use that to judge people on if they are spiritually mature, or they're Christian enough. Right? That's your way of measuring, but that's not how Jesus measures, all right? He says in Philippians what? He says that continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He, what he says is that this salvation is a continuing process. We don't know who will end up in heaven, right? Let's, let's face it, right? We, that's a quite of a humbling thing. It's only between you and God. We don't know anyone else, right? Salvation is a continuing process. However, the Corinthians thought, well, you know what? Since I come from a world where it's results-oriented, you know, it's all about results, then that has to be successful. 
then it has to be, then that's a sign of a successful Christian. It's the number of conversions that we have. And Paul, and unfortunately, a lot of the Corinthians claim that, Paul, you don't have enough conver- that many conversions. I have more conversions than you, so I'm better than you. Right? And Paul says, wrong. You do not put that as a judgment. You do not put that as a measurable on me or on you. Right? Because God is the official person that has that pay grade to actually convert people. He has that job. The Holy Spirit has that job. Unfortunately for us, if we are so concerned about conversions, it's not really about that person, is it? Is it? If we're so really concerned, um, oh, I have to share a story from my past life. It's like when I'm in missions trips, right? Fritz, you probably would relate to this. Like uh, when we are in missions trips, what is the number one thing that we want to come to? You know, when we show a video, people. Thousands, right? We want thousands. That's when we were in teens, right? Thousands of people come to this Jesus video. And how many people do we, and what do we expect? Conversions. We want thousands and thousands of people to come to know Jesus. And what do we boast about when we come back? How many people that get converted? Who is it for, though? Why do we say it? It's for us. We're building our own little kingdoms. Look at how successful we are. Look at da-da-da-da, right? And then so, what did Paul say? Guess what? That darkness will disclose itself. All those motivations will actually come out to play. Because, unfortunately, even people who don't know Jesus will actually see you, see through you. Because even though we could say that we have this success and this conversions and all that stuff, if our life doesn't show it, if we don't show that humility, if we don't show that we do have Jesus and Jesus is the center and Jesus is the reason why there were those conversions, people see right through us because our, the way we live shows it of who's the center and it discloses itself. All right, let's move on to chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> chapter 7 verse, oh, not chapter 7, sorry. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 to 7. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of heart? Then each one will receive commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us. Now go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against the other. Now it's the word puffed up. All right, so to conclude this whole growing pain, The Corinthians, they too want to have that urge to become Christ-like. Unfortunately, what happened was they applied their business acumen, their executive know-how, onto Christian life, instead of applying Christian life to their business acumen and their business know-how. You know the difference? Right? And so for us, our journeys in our life, like we also have to look at ourselves and say, okay, what have, is it really about our own way of living? That's about the way how we live and our idea of living our lives apply to Christian, the Christian gospel? Or are we allowing the Christian gospel to actually influence our way of living? There's a difference. So Paul says, look, you're very results-oriented. That's great, but that's in the business realm. Change that. You're in, you now have a new life in Jesus. Allow Jesus to influence that area. Don't measure people based on results. 
measure people based on the process and how they live their lives. All right, that's enough of uh, belaboring that point. So let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. It goes and says this, Already you, all, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And with, and with that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When we reviled, we blessed. When we persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Okay, when you read Paul's letters, there's a rule of thumb, okay, in reading his letters. Just think of him as <laughs> your Asian parent. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, so um, I have to give you an example then. My mom, okay, when I was younger, I always wanted to make my own decisions. Who doesn't, right? All right, so then, okay, so then when I said, I want to make my own decision on this one, it's my way. And then what would she say? Oh, really? What made you so smart? In other words, it's not because I'm smart, right? It's like, what made you so smart? Or here's a better one. He goes, uh, oh yeah? Uh, who died and made you mom? Right? Uh, in other words, what happened to dad? Like, that's out of the picture all of a sudden, right? You know, well, officially, in my family, dad's there, mom's here, <laughs> right? So she makes the official decision. So you get what I'm saying? Or, uh, like, if I wanted to get something and then buy something of my own, I would say, like, I want to get this. And then she would say, oh, yeah? Uh, what, you won the lottery? Right? You know, you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's this whole, um, what do you call it, passive-aggressive <laughs> type of arguments. So... Paul is doing the same thing here. Here, let me try to rephrase this. Oh, Corinthians, you think you're saved now. Oh, you think you already got it? You're in the kingdom already. So you think that you're sitting on the throne already, right? Oh, you think that uh, you're very successful because of all your results. You're more than what I have. Like, you have more converts than I do. Oh, you think you're so smart too? Because look at the lifestyle you're leading. You're wealthy, right? You have a successful career. Yeah, you must be a more mature Christian than I am. Right? Nudge, 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 right? You must be. Oh, yeah, you know, like, all the suffering part, that, like, uh, this turmoil that I'm experiencing, being slaves and walking down like a, like a spectacle, being whipped and thrown in jail, I must be doing something wrong because your life seems to be better than mine, so you should... Be a more Christian than I am. Nudge, nudge. And maybe, like, you have it all right. You know, your Christian life is perfect because there's no persecutions. But me, because I'm being persecuted and everything, just like Jesus, hint, hint, right? <laughs> and then he goes on to say, you know what? I, Jesus, yeah, maybe Jesus got it all wrong. Maybe you have it all together. Maybe your Christian life's all together. And Jesus and I, we got it all wrong. Right? I'm heading to my own crucifixion. Jesus got crucified, but you guys are just free from all persecutions. You guys follow this? Yeah, you guys follow this? So then, he, like, so Paul goes and says, watch out. That's wrong-headed. Because 
Remember, these folks never met Jesus, and they only heard about him, right, through Paul. So then they only, they only get glimpses. So what Paul is saying is that, hey, wait a minute. That's not Jesus. That's not who Jesus is. Guess who Jesus is? He goes and says this. First of all, Jesus, <laughs> yes, he is on the official throne. He's there. And yes, you're right. We have a spot there, but we're not there yet. We do have a spot guaranteed for us, but we're not there yet. And that's why for this life, we have to continue to work out salvation, right? We have to live out a life that is Christ-like. But second, just an FYI, for all of those disciples out there in Corinth, following Jesus does not mean that you're free from persecution. In fact, he goes on to say in the rest of this letter that the more persecutions you have because of your stronghold in Jesus, you're doing the right thing. The less you have to question yourself whether you are following Jesus. You follow? Here's an example, real life example for me. Like, uh, <clears throat> following Jesus is tough. And uh, sometimes when, uh, you know, when we read passages saying that it's like death, right? You know, persecution, judgment, it's like death. Well, I can definitely relate to that. Especially when I was younger when, you know, jobs were scarce. And, you know, like, uh, and when I have a job, I want to hold on to it. Well, there are a couple of times in my career that really I had to stand up for either choose stand up for Jesus or just ignore it and go with the flow with my, the company that I work for. And I chose to stand up for Jesus. My stronghold was in Jesus. I said, no, I trust God that he will provide, hopefully. <laughs> right? And then, you know, and that faith in him, I go, God, you better pull through. Right? I'm just saying, like, this is going to be tough because I am going to get fired for this or laid off. And so then I did. I got laid off twice. Right? Two positions, I got laid off twice because I stood firm on two different issues. Right? And, then the, and I realized how painful that could be. Because you're in face of, you know, especially if you have a family now, or especially when you have a mortgage to pay, it's very difficult to stand firm and have a stronghold in Jesus. Right? The enemy loves to use money on us and loves to hold us hostage with money. And so Paul is saying, look, we, I understand that, he says. But remember this of who you are in the beginning. You're in Jesus and he will take care of you. He'll provide for you. But take this, take a stronghold. Persecutions will happen. And look at me, he says. Look at Paul. He is persecuted for his stronghold in Jesus. And therefore, he's reminding the Corinthians, imitate me and not anyone else. This is who Jesus is. The one that you worship, the one you claim as Lord, was a suffering servant was the one who went to the cross and he was crucified. And that's how we are. We're supposed to take up our own cross and follow Jesus and be crucified as well. Very hard to take. But how can you, be, how can you resurrect without being crucified in the first place? Follow? Okay. So we have to take our stand, he says. And the more we stand firm in Jesus, the more persecutions will happen. If we let it slide, then we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, which side are we on? And that's what Paul is saying. Whose side are you on then? If, you have, if your Christian life is easy going now, well, watch out. If you pray that prayer, and I, I still swear, like, if you do pray that prayer and say, God, like, help me, mature me, things will come. It's just a matter of whether we want to take that choice and receive it well, that trial. 
Okay, let's move on. In chapter 4, verse 15 to 21. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the... And I find... I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist to talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? So another word for guide that you see up there is babysitter. That's equivalent. Guide. There's a lot of guides. So he's basically, you guys have a countless babysitters. All right. Folks, what is the difference between a babysitter and a parent? Babysitters. They keep you out of trouble, right? They protect you. They keep you out of trouble. They make sure that you're comfortable. They make sure that, like, you know, you're fed, you're following this instructions by your parents. They just make sure that, you know, you're safe and nurtured. What's a parent? A parent would drive you to grow. A parent would take you, well, I don't know about your parents, but my dad, he would just like, when I turned, uh, well, how old was I? He just threw me out. Um, 18, <laughs> right? He said, time to get a job in. You're, time to live on your own, right? That type of thing. Parents challenge us to grow up. Parents guide us. Parents are role models to, to direct us. Parents are those who would use discipline, not babysitters. Parents are you there to use discipline to challenge us to grow, to become better. Like Iron Man did, with uh, Peter Parker, he said, no, I want you to be better. Not just to, to imitate, be better, right? Parents w want us to grow. One of the biggest responsibilities of the parent is to provide the child a role model to follow, right? Let's face it, as we get older, a lot of studies have shown that we would become our parents, right? We become more and more like our parents. So Paul says, okay, since you do not have Jesus alive to show you what it is like, I'm telling you, imitate me then. Imitate me, Paul says. I'm suffering. I'm the, the serving uh, Jesus. I am following Jesus. I am being persecuted uh, through by my stronghold of the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel. Imitate me. Right? Don't think that it's all about results. Don't think it's about an easy life. Don't think that Christianity and Jesus would provide us a way out of freedom from persecutions and sufferings. No, following Jesus actually increases it exponentially, sufferings and persecutions, right? Trials would come. Uh, I still remember a, a phrase from a, one of our pastors who was baptizing. After when they bapt he baptized them, now guess what? Like uh, before you became a Christian, you were walking in a straight line and Satan was walking in a straight line, right? You guys are all facing the same direction. But once you turned around and repented, repentance means to turn around, right? Guess who you're facing face to face with? hit Satan straight on, and he doesn't like it. And trials and persecutions will come, right? So it's, Paul says, if that happens, you are following the right route. Imitate me then. But look at me, Paul says. Look at what's happening to the gospel through me. People are coming to know Jesus. People are finding life, right? And that's what Paul is saying, imitate me. Imitate me because his gospel, his suffering, his death, his servanthood. Find someone like that, and fortunately for you, Corinthians, you have Paul. 
Now, back to us then. Remember my question? Who is your role model? Or who is, who is somebody that you want as a role model? As we continue, as you and I continue our individual Christian journeys, the question is, do we have godly, Christ-like role models in our lives? It could be our parents, or it might not be, it might not be, it could be somebody else, but do we have somebody? Because the, it's, the fact is that Jesus is not here, right? He's not here. But do we have somebody that is spiritually in tune with the Holy Spirit and have a life that is Christ-like that could be our role model to follow? Agree? Because if we do not, then how are we to nurture our own lives and become role models ourselves for others? As we, it is so important to find a role model that, to have, that's Christ-centered and is spirit-filled spirit and directed because as we follow them, guess who's following us, right? Because people, other people will see us and they would view us as their role models. Quite like I still remember, like one of the questions was, "Hey, uh, John, like, um, I think I have a glimpse of Jesus." And I go, "What? Right? Well, it's because of what you did in in the neighborhood, right? So is that what Jesus did? That's the questions that you want to answer, saying, "Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what Jesus does, right? Yes, that Jesus does submit himself, uh, submit his time to help their neighbors. Yes, Jesus does wash other people's feet and get kicked in the face at the same time." Right? That's the question that you want to answer with affirmative yes. Not, is that what really Jesus does? Is to do this? No, we don't want that to happen. Okay? Sorry, this is more of an instruction type of thing, but that's how it, that the scripture is. That was this passage. And I pray for all of us, and I pray for each of us, that we would be able to find a role model that we can follow a role model that is Christ-centered and living a Christ-like life that has gone through these struggles and sufferings to educate us on how to navigate our own suffering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.